Well, good morning once again, church. Good morning. It's great to sing and pray and worship, and now we have the privilege of hearing from our God and his word. And as always, we say, if you're new or newer here at this church, we're so glad you're with us this morning. So this morning, we continue in our short sermon series, We Are the Church. And last week, we started this series by looking at Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And we asked the question, why did Jesus establish the church? And if you're here and for some reason you weren't able to be here last week, I do encourage you to try to take the time and go back and listen to that message because there in Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus not only establishes the church, but in fact, as we talked about, Matthew 16 and 18 are the only two paragraphs in the whole New Testament where Jesus himself talks about the church. And what we saw was, what did Jesus decide to emphasize in the places where he decided to talk about the church? Well, first, we saw that the word church he decided to use simply means assembly. And so Jesus' plan is that he will build his assembly. And then second, we saw that the church is made up of those who, by God's grace, believe in Jesus. But then third and finally, and perhaps most surprisingly, we saw that each time Jesus talked about the church, he also talked about what he called the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And we saw that what this meant was that Jesus gave the local church, the local assembly, the responsibility to affirm those who know Christ and so belong in his assembly, and to not affirm those who do not know Christ and so are not part of his assembly. And so that was last week, and in basic, this is the foundational reason we as a church must do membership, because it is really the only way that we can obey what Jesus commanded us to do with the keys of the kingdom. But that now brings us to this week. And so if we stop there in the explanation of who we are as a church and church membership, I think many of us would be somewhat convinced of the idea of church membership. But because of this idea of the keys of the kingdom being a little bit confusing, I can imagine that if we stopped there, we still might be a little bit foggy about all this. Or to say it another way, we, we might tend to believe still, like we often do, that joining a church is just like joining a club, or it's kind of just something we do. But that's why I want us to go a little bit deeper into this idea in the Bible, because next week in our final sermon on this series, we'll get the most practical we will talk specifically of what would it mean for you to biblically reaffirm or join as a member here at ECC. But for this week, in order to see that this isn't just something we do, we're going to pick up where we left off. And so if last week we saw membership in the keys of the kingdom, now this week we're just going to ask it very plainly. Is membership really biblical? And not only that, then we'll also ask, and why does it matter? And that then simply will be our outline this morning, these two questions. First, is membership biblical? And then second, and why does it matter? But even before we look at those, let's remember at the outset, right, that whenever we're asking a question like this, is something biblical, we need to remind ourselves that we're not primarily concerned with just ideas in a book. Yes, we as Christians love this book, and I love this book, and I pray that you love this book too, but technically, it's not just a book in itself, right, with letters on a page that we're concerned about. Instead, we love the God who inspired this book, who talks in this book. We love this book because it's God's word. 
meaning the living God that we worship, communicates to tiny sinners like us in this book. And so at the beginning of the message, I just want to be clear, asking these questions from the Bible, is membership biblical and why does it matter, isn't just asking questions. Instead, technically this this morning, what we're doing is we're asking, does the living God, the powerful, wise, loving God that we worship in Jesus Christ, does he actually talk to us about church membership and it mattering? Does he? Because if he doesn't, then honestly, we shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) But if he does, then we can say that this is a significant topic. Which brings us to the first of our two overarching questions this morning. And here we're asking, is church membership biblical? And again, this means, has God in his word decided to talk to us about membership? And of course, the answer here, as assumed, is yes. In a sense, you probably expected that answer, especially last week about the keys of the kingdom. And so yes, church membership is biblical. But the reason we're doing this series is because I think even of those of us who have been Christians for some time, I think if we're honest, we might admit that we don't really know why or how it's biblical. We may feel that the other things that are biblical are things like the gospel and salvation and living holy lives and evangelism and prayer and gathering for worship, but membership, we often just think, is the way that we do those things in church. But, but I want us to see this morning that's just, that's just simply not true. And not only is that not true, but the reason really answering this question is important for you and me is because what you believe about the biblical support for membership will affect how you approach this topic. Because if you're here and you're a Christian and you, and you don't believe membership is really that biblical, then it'll be something that you might do or not. Right? You might do it if you really love the church you're going to, or you might not, because it's mainly viewed as a preference thing. But on the other hand, if you see that God speaks to us in his word about church membership, just like he speaks to us about things like the gospel and Jesus and loving others and prayer, if that's the case, then this will no longer just be a preference thing in your life. Instead, it will become something you do in your following of Jesus all because God teaches it in his word. And so that said, let's now dig into this together, church. So is church membership biblical? And to answer this, we are going to look at a seven-step proof to prove that church membership is biblical. A seven-step proof. Now, I know that sounds like a lot. But, but here's why we'll do this. So, so there is not one verse alone that explicitly says in the Bible, you must be an official member of a local church. And because of that, sometimes people tend to think that official membership, therefore, isn't biblical. But I want you to see the reality is there are truths in the Bible that are fully biblical, even though there isn't just one verse that says all of it. And the best example of this is the Trinity itself. Right? There is not only one obvious verse in the Bible on the Trinity, but to be frank, it is extremely biblical. So I'm sure most of you in this room, I hope, do believe. And it's so biblical that I think we can say that you can't really believe the Bible without believing the Trinity because you'd have to overlook so many verses. And so there are times that something is truly, fully biblical even though it's not explicit all in one verse. There are times when it really is from God. 
And so through these seven steps, I hope you'll see that that's the case with church membership as well. And so to prove that it's biblical, we won't be going to just one passage this morning, but to many passages. And this is a bit rarer for us as a church here on Sunday mornings, because usually on Sunday mornings, we're just going through one main passage and explaining it verse by verse. But for this morning and for some other messages in this series, we're going to be going to many verses in the New Testament. And to begin, though, we're going to begin there in Acts 14. But before we even do that, let's first start with our step number one of seven. Step one of seven. So we're going to read Acts 14 in a second. And this is the foundational step we talked about last week. So step one is how Jesus himself established the church and gave the keys of the kingdom. Step one, Jesus established the church and gave the church the keys of the kingdom. We saw that in Matthew 16 and 18, where he said that that is the local church's responsibility to affirm or not affirm those who know him. And so that's step one. And in a sense, we could just stop there and say, yep, membership therefore is biblical. But instead, to see if this idea is then implemented and taught in the rest of the Bible, especially the New Testament, let's now continue in our steps. So that's step one. But now for step two, let's read Acts 14, 21 through 23. So look down at your Bibles. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So remember, this is in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the inspired record of the early church. And what do we see here? Well, we see that what Jesus instituted... Back what we saw last week with the, the, his church, his assembly, it started happening. Because notice, verse 21, the gospel is going out to many cities and people are becoming disciples. But then along with this, what happens? Verse 23, multiple churches, assemblies started to form in those cities. And so what we see in Acts 14 here is that when the apostles went and preached the gospel, people believed, yes, but more specifically, people believed and gathered. You can see that verse 23 specifically says they gathered with elders as leaders and they gathered in specific cities. And so they made local churches, as Jesus said would happen. And so that's step number two. Step number two in our proof is that, okay, now in Acts, there are local churches, And practically, this means for us, it's not that people become Christians and then just become part of the universal church, although that's true. It's people become Christians and become part of a local church. Which leads now to step three, which will be our briefest. Because step three is then that this local church idea, as you probably know, is not only confirmed in Acts, but now it's also confirmed in the New Testament letters as well. Right, Because the New Testament letters that God inspired in the, in the Bible are not primarily written to individual Christians. Instead, they're written again to local churches. And so if you're following again, we see the emphasis. This is Jesus' plan. Believers coming together and gathering in local churches. So we have the keys of the kingdom, churches in Acts, churches in the New Testament. And now that leads to step four in our proof for membership. And for this, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. So if you're in Acts 14, this should be about 40 pages or so to the right in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 5. And so we have churches gathering thus far, as you've probably been seeing, but that's it. That's all we've seen. But now here, 
And step four, especially building on last week, we'll see that the keys of the kingdom also then really became true for churches. So let's read this in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now there's a lot in there, a lot that we won't be able to get to this morning. It's an awful situation where there is a man there apparently who slept with his mother-in-law. That's what most people think and he is unrepentant. But for our sake this morning, notice what the inspired apostle Paul is saying about it because he's essentially saying that this local church in Corinth in response to this has the God-given authority and responsibility to implement the keys of the kingdom. Because notice this specifically in verse 4. And notice how similar this sounds to Jesus' teaching on the topic. Verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. And so, so who technically has the authority to do this? The church assembled, quote, when you are assembled in Jesus' name. And so I hope you see this is the keys at work. And again, if you weren't here last week, listen to last week's sermon about Jesus talking about this. But that's step four. So not only do we have local churches, but also the local churches in the New Testament did implement the keys of the kingdom. Which, importantly, can only happen if they knew who were those who were officially in the church and those who weren't. Which then leads to step five. And for this, we're going to stay in 1 Corinthians 5. So in step one through four, we saw people believed in Jesus, gathered, that these assemblies knew who were in their assemblies. But now in step five here, we're going to see an answer to an important question that you might be having about all this, especially about church membership. And and it's this. The question is, but can't we just say that whoever comes in and assembles with us on Sunday morning is part of the assembly? And and it's it's a good question. But the answer actually from the Bible is no. And here, again, is where we continue to see that the church in the New Testament, that church membership or list or role, whatever you want to call it, is really a thing in the early church and in the Bible. And so for this, look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 12. Paul writes, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So notice, Paul distinguishes between those in the church and outside. And in basic, this word just means someone outside. And we may think that it's just a reference to unbelievers, and partly it is. But then, what's really interesting is that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, we won't go there for the sake of time, but 1 Corinthians 14, Paul will again use this word outsider, but his point there is that outsiders can visit the assembly. And so the point for us is, if you're tracking in the Bible, this means that not everyone who assembles on Sunday mornings is technically part of the assembly. Right? Some are, while others might not be. 
And if, and if you're tracking, this can only be the case unless there's some sort of official list membership role that distinguishes those who are in the assembly on Sunday morning and those who are visiting the assembly as outsiders on Sunday morning. And so that's step number five. There's a distinction in the New Testament between those in the assembly and outsiders who visit the assembly. Which finally leads to steps number six and seven. I know this is a lot. And even if we just had steps one through five, if you're tracking, we could stop and say already, membership is necessary and biblical. But now for our final two steps, we'll see this confirmed in two more ways. And for step number six, turn with me to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, this would be about 80 pages or so to the right in your Bible. 1 Peter 5. And for this, we are going to be reading 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says this. Peter says this. So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So, so what does that have to do with membership, you might wonder? Well, well, actually, quite a lot. Because here, we have Peter writing to churches. And here in chapter 5, as you can see, he's writing specifically to the elders, the shepherd leaders of the churches. And we will talk more about that in our second mini-sermon series coming up in November. But for our sakes this morning, notice specifically what the Bible says in verse 2 to these elders, these shepherds. Quote, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And, and, and that's really significant because notice, this means that the call of the elder, shepherd, overseer, all of which are one role in the New Testament, their call isn't to shepherd the entire universal church, the entire flock of God. Not at all. Instead, Peter says clearly that the call of a shepherd is to shepherd a specific flock, the flock of God that, quote, is among you. And practically, as a, sort of, as a sort of side note on all of this, one of the reasons, church, that we're doing these two short sermon series and revamping church membership and revamping church structure is because of this. Because this is an important New Testament idea. And so our vision here at ECC is to, is to revamp membership and to revamp our church to be a biblical elder-led church. But in all that, importantly... When we, Lord willing, have, soon have a group of elders shepherding and humbly and lovingly leading this church alongside myself, honestly, as the senior pastor, one of the most important things we as shepherds need to know is who actually is the flock that we are called to shepherd. Who are the people that we are to give an account for? Because it isn't everyone in the universal church. And importantly, nor is the flock just anyone who happens to come on these doors on Sunday morning, although we will love anyone who comes in these doors. Instead, the biblical calling of a shepherd is to, quote, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so that then is number, step number six. In the New Testament, there's a local flock, and shepherds shepherd a specific flock, and membership is simply answering, who is that flock? Which finally leads to our last step, number seven. And for this, turn with me to Hebrews 13, 17. So if you're in 1 Peter, there should only be about 10 pages to the left in your Bible. Hebrews 13, verse 17. 
So we have churches, we have keys to the kingdom, we have those in the church, we have outsiders, we have shepherds leading specific flocks, and now concerning the congregation itself, we have Hebrews 13, 17. Let's read that now. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. And so here we have the flip side almost of the command that we just saw in 1 Peter 5 too, because here the command is given to the congregation as a whole. And once again, implied here is membership. Because see here, again, the command here is not to obey all Christian leaders. That's not a congregation's uh, command. Instead, it's to obey your leaders. Leaders who have to give an account for your soul individually. And, And notice the leaders here are specifically the shepherds, the elders, because leaders here are those who, quote, keep watch over your souls. And that's why elders in the New Testament are also called overseers. And so that then is our final confirming step number seven. In the New Testament, congregations don't obey all just random Christian leaders. But as the flock, they have specific leaders, elders, shepherds they're supposed to submit to. Leaders who will have to give account for their individual souls. And so that's our seven-step proof for membership. And again, I know that's a lot. But with all that said, now we can say firmly that membership is biblical. Or or perhaps to say it another way, we can say that without official church membership, without implementing the keys of a kingdom in a a list-taking sort of responsible way, we can't obey the whole New Testament. And we can say that because it's clear, in order to obey God's word about Jesus' plan for the local assembly, about the keys of the kingdom, about gathering his churches, about the church having the ability to no longer affirm somebody who's in the assembly, about there being people being called outsiders who can visit the assembly, about shepherds shepherding specific people, about people giving, uh, submitting to specific leaders to, that will give account for them. In order to obey all of that, we need official membership, listing Role-taking, call it whatever you want to know who is this local flock. And so I know it's a lot, but I hope it's helpful actually to your personal faith because, because although there is not one verse that just plainly says it, we can say with confidence that official membership is what God commands us and wants for us. And, and so in order for us individually and as a church as a whole, we need to make it our aim to really follow God's word in this. And so that is the answer to our first question, is membership biblical? But that now will lead us to our second question of the morning. And for this, we'll ask, but why does membership matter? And of course, there's there's many answers, right, that we could give to a question like that. And not only that, but because we just proved that membership is biblical, meaning from God in his word, we could just say, well, it matters because God said so. And, And although that is true, I think God's word is even more helpful than just that. And so to answer this question, why membership matters, we're first going to give an overarching answer, but then we're going to see three pictures of the church in the Bible that support the answer. And so to start, uh, let me first just give you an overarching answer to this question. So, So why does membership matter? You might be sitting there and wondering, why does membership really matter? Well, I think the most practical way is thinking of it like this. Membership matters, meaning really joining and being committed to a local church matters because it's how you seek to follow Christ with others 
in the way the New Testament commands and even assumes. Let me say that again. Membership matters because it's how we as Christians seek to follow Christ with others in the way the New Testament commands and even assumes. Or or negatively, if we don't join a local church and we claim to be Christians, not only are we going against God's word, but practically we won't be able to fully obey the way God wants us to live as Christians. Instead, so much of our Christianity will just be vague talk. And so that's the overarching answer. And if that's a bit confusing, stick, stick with me. Because to prove that answer, let's now look at three pictures the Bible uses of the church. And we do this because as you'll see, what membership essentially is, is it's taking these pictures and it's making it practical for you and me. So three pictures the Bible uses to talk about this church to show us why membership matters. And for the first way, turn with me again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. So if you're in Hebrew still, this will again be about 50 pages back to the left in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And for this, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And this is the first image of the church we'll talk about. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27, the Bible says this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so, as you can see, this is where the Bible and Paul talks in detail about the church being, quote, the body of Christ. Right, in verse 27 here, actually, is towards the end of a longer discussion on the body of Christ that began in verse 12 of this chapter. And you might know this chapter, because the point of all this is that we as a church are the body of Christ, and each of us, with our gifts, is part of that body and supposed to serve the body. And we often talk about this, right? Saying the church is the body of Christ. But but here's the point for us this morning and why membership matters. If we only talk about all this, saying and mentioning Bible verses about the church being the body of Christ, if we only talk about all that, then we won't actually be following what God is talking about here when he uses this picture. Because yes, the global church, the universal church, is in a sense the body of Christ. That's true. But ask yourself this, how is this body of Christ idea to have its practical effect in my life? Well, the answer is the local church, the local body, and specifically being a member, an official part of a local body. And that's why verse 27 is quite important. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And his point is that their local church body in Corinth is the body of Christ. And that body is made up of individuals who are members of it. And by the way, if you are curious, this here technically is where we get the word membership from in the Bible. Because technically, the word member here in 1 Corinthians 12 and elsewhere is just the Greek word for part or body part. Like the arm is a member of the body. And so literally, when we are talking about church membership, we're talking about church body partness, if you will. And we're talking about actually joining and being part of a local body like we see here in 1 Corinthians 12. And so the application for us is that, yes, the universal church is Christ's body, but for you and me, that's not supposed to be a vague thing. Instead, we individually are to be members of a local body serving with our gifts for the good of the body and the glory of Christ. And so that's the first of three pictures about the church. But now for our second picture, 
Think about what we saw a minute ago in 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. For the sake of time, you don't have to turn back there this morning. But for our second picture, think again of the church, the local church, being, quote, the flock of God. The flock of God. Because if you remember, Peter in 1 Peter 5 said that the local church, with its shepherd elders, is called the flock of God that's among you. And to be clear, as you might know, Peter himself is not inventing this idea of the church being the flock of God. Instead, this is an idea he's taking from the Old Testament, and especially from Jesus himself. Because Jesus, right, made the point over and over that his people are his sheep, while he is the shepherd. And so that's clear in the Bible. The whole universal global church is Jesus' sheep. It's the flock of God. But again, here's the point for us this morning and why membership matters. So just like with the body of Christ, how is this flock of God idea to have its practical effect in your life? Well, it's actually by being part of a local flock. And on this, if the, if the body of Christ's picture emphasizes the idea of service, where you join a body to serve the body, this image of a flock has the emphasis of guidance. Because the idea of sheep is that they need to be led and guided. And so the image in the New Testament is that Jesus is alone is the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd whom we all follow equally. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. But then what's interesting in the New Testament in the Bible is also in the wisdom of God, he has decided to call those who lead the local church, who guide the sheep, shepherds. Elder shepherds. And so the biblical picture is that Jesus shepherds his sheep and he uses under shepherds, elders, pastors, overseers, to do that. And so practically then, what this means, practically then, part of joining a local church is avoiding just vaguely being part of Jesus' sheep or vaguely guided by Jesus. Instead, it's to be part of Jesus' sheep here, to be part of a local flock and to be shepherded by Jesus through under-shepherds, all for his glory and our good. Which finally leads to our third and last picture of the church. And for this, turn with me to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. If you're still in 1 Corinthians, this will be about 40 more pages to the right in your Bible. And I know we have been going a ton of places together this morning, but I promise this is the last place we are turning to together. So 1 Timothy 3. And for this, we'll be in verses 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the church is the body of Christ, it's the flock of God, and here we see that the church is also the household of God. And the idea of household is that of a family, it's a family. And if the body of Christ emphasizes service while the flock of God emphasizes service, now this image of a family emphasizes love. Because think of it this way. Did you know that, that the primary way that the writers of the New Testament address believers is with the word adelphoi, which we translate as brothers or brothers and sisters because women could be included in that word. And perhaps you've noticed that in your reading in your Bible. All over the New Testament, the apostles call fellow believers brothers and sisters. 
And so this means that the primary way the writers of the New Testament thought about those who were fellow believers in Christ was not with the title believers or Christians or Jesus followers or anything like that. Instead, it's brothers and sisters. Meaning we're in the same family in Christ. And we probably know all that. That's a huge emphasis in the Bible. We're in, this, we're in God's family through Christ. And, and so what does this have to do with why membership matters? Well, because just like the idea of the body and the flock, so this idea of a family wasn't meant to be vague for you and I either. Instead, if you're a Christian, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, yes, we are brothers and sisters with anyone all over the globe who trusts in Jesus Christ. But practically, what is that supposed to look like in your daily life? It's the local church. It's this. We are the church. We are the household of God. We are family in Christ. And so that's church membership. It's saying, yes, all believers everywhere are my brothers and sisters in Christ, that's true. But practically, in how God has set all this up to work, these fellow believers here in this local assembly are my brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> We're saying it another way. The local church is the primary place. All of those one another commands in the New Testament, which are everywhere, are supposed to have their practical effect in your life. All these commands in the New Testament about loving one another, praying for one another, supporting one another, weeping with one another, rejoicing with one another, all those will just be vague unless they have their practical effect in how God designed it for them to have their practical effect for you in the local church, with your local church family. And so that's then the answer to our second question. Why does church membership really matter? Well, first, of course, because it's biblical, but then practically I hope you see it matters because in God's good plan and sovereignty, he didn't just make you a Christian and then leave you on your own. Instead, in his plan, he has made you part of Christ's universal body, but then that materializes in your life as you join and serve in a local body. He has made you part of Christ's global flock, but that materializes in your life as you go and are guided in a local flock. And then finally, yes, all brothers and sisters all over the world are your brothers and sisters in Christ, but that's to materialize in your life with actual brothers and sisters in the Lord you are to love here. And so I know that's a lot, especially with a lot of flipping around in the Bible, but I hope now each of us can answer more confidently that church membership is biblical. And not only that, but we hopefully can now see that it really does matter. It is how God has planned for you practically to live out your Christian life in a local body, flock, and family. And so now as we close, let me just share one more thing on all this. One more thing. So next week, as I said, we'll get practical about all this. But for this week, let me just end by saying this. So, so if you were tracking last week about Jesus establishing the church and the keys of the kingdom, and if you were tracking all this week about it really being biblical and mattering, if you're tracking it all in all of that, this means, as a final note this morning, it means that we can now say with the authority of God from his word that church membership therefore isn't optional in your Christian life. It isn't optional if you love and trust in Jesus. Now Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he's coming back one day, that is the gospel, but also 
biblically now in your Christian life as you try to live for his glory because of the gospel, his plan for you is to be an official part member of a local church. And so being a member of a church isn't to be optional for us as Christians. Now, it is optional concerning which local body you decide to be a part of. I want to be clear about that because there is nothing in the Bible that says that you as a believer need to be a member of Evangelical Community Church in Stanford, Connecticut. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Biblically, you do need to seek to be a member of a church. And I pray that it's a Bible-believing, Jesus-glorifying, gospel-centered church, since that's what God talks about in his word. But biblically, whether it's this local church or another local gospel-centered church, that's for God to guide you. But either way, again, the final application for us this morning is that being a member of a local church is commanded for you as a follower of Christ. Because this is Jesus' plan, local assemblies, and this is how God designed you to live out your Christian life. And so, so next week we will make this really practical church. There'll even be a handout in your bulletin next week that will detail what it would mean for you to be a part of this local body here at ECC. And then the following weeks after that, what's going to be happening is each one of us on our own will either, one, reaffirm our membership here at this church, Two, decide to join this church. Or three, decide not to be a part of this church. And so that's what we're going to start talking about next week. That's the vision for where we're going. But for now, with this week and last week covered, for now I just simply ask you to pray about all this. Pray about where God wants you to be a part of a local church, a local flock, body, and family. But, because again, we can say that Jesus wants, you for, wants this for you if you trust him. The only question is where? And if it isn't here at ECC, then honestly, I pray that God may guide you and Christ may grow you in your faith wherever he does lead you to be a member of a church. But if by the grace of God, he does lead you to either reaffirm or join here at ECC, as I hope is the case for most of us this morning, then we do look forward to continuing this journey together as a church, all for our unity and our good, and ultimately for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.